Welcome back to the CPA Success Podcast. I'm Jen Nicholson. And I'm Blair Cook. And today, we're happy to have Biran Agnihotri with us today, and he's an associate partner in EY's advisory services practices. Biran leads EY Canada's Intelligent Automation Group. He has deployed a virtual workforce of 400 bots from inception to production using various RPA and cognitive technologies. He has successfully transformed companies from RPA, artificial intelligence proofs of concepts, to scaled implementation and shown the true return on investment of a virtual workforce. Buren has successfully led the building of RPA and artificial intelligence target operating models and communities of interest for some of Canada's large financial institutions and is considered one of the trusted RPA experts in Canada by Intelligent Automation Forum. Biren has more than 20 years of IT consulting and advisory experience working with big four consulting firms. He had a successful track record of leading large, complex global IT and business transformation programs across various industry verticals and is known for cross-pollination of ideas across different industry sectors. In this episode, I'm going to talk to Biren about artificial intelligence. What actually is artificial intelligence? What are some of the benefits and challenges of an AI future, and what are some practical applications that we can use in our day-to-day lives to make things better. Let's get started. Today we have with us Biren Agnihotri, Associate Partner of EY Canada's Intelligent Automation Practice. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jennifer. So let's get started by talking about what does intelligent automation really mean? What are you responsible for? So I always say that uh, AI or artificial intelligence is a software-driven intelligence that uh, mimics human cognition, behavior, and thought processing to replicate more complex tasks that include professional judgment and some sort of historical or contextual knowledge uh, which can be used in variety of ways. So I'm responsible for EY Canada and for our clients predominantly to find out uh, different ways of automation so that they can get a lot of economic values from their existing initiatives. Wow, so you actually help them develop automation in their organizations. Absolutely. Yeah, that would be extremely valuable. Yeah, and uh, we will talk about some use cases later on as well. So AI is is really uh, a buzzword these days, frankly, that so many people don't don't really understand what it means, but it covers uh, an enormous number of different topics. Can we, you tell us a little bit about what are some of the things that really involve artificial intelligence? So I always start with, uh, I got very fascinated with one of the statement from uh, Andrew NG. Andrew NG is a known name in artificial intelligence in North America. He sits on the scientific advisory board for Baidu, Yahoo, Google, some of the big names in artificial wow. intelligence. And uh, he mentioned one thing in one of the sessions that uh, artificial intelligence is not a technology, it's a platform. It's the new electricity. So the way 
most of the industries got transformed in the last 100 years uh, by using electricity, uh, it is hard to believe that there will be any industry which will be left which won't touch the artificial intelligence. So that's the part. And I totally agree with you. To some extent, it's a hype as well, uh, as like any other technology in its infancy stage. Uh, but there is definitely, we are seeing some big value uh, with adopting artificial intelligence. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, electricity obviously was transformational to, to yeah, everything absolutely. in our world. And to think that this will be the same is really quite overwhelming. Absolutely. And, and to your second part of your question, you know, I, I think deliberately or unknowingly, uh, we are using artificial intelligence in our daily lives uh, from quite long. It makes me believe stronger, and my belief is more firm now, that AI is whatever hasn't done yet. Uh, it is an AI, and every success in AI redefine it as a non-AI. So if you take an example of we are using emails for now more than two decades, and the spam feature in email is a good example of Naive's algorithm, uh, which is an artificial intelligence. But it is so integral part of our life that we never consider it as a part of something wow it was considered as a de facto standard. And that's where it is leading that anything which is not yet discovered, when we see those early signs, we see, wow, but every new invention in AI redefine it as a non-AI. Wow, interesting. So it it really is a part of our lives already. We just don't think of it that way. Yeah, absolutely. If, if you see, if I do a simple search on internet uh, right now sitting in Toronto, I may do EY London office. And surprisingly, it will not bring EY London UK address. It will bring EY London Ontario address. So that, that is a very good example where it is very contextual. It, the search is taking your commands and adding location, adding an intelligence on top of that. And we always consider it, okay, this is a de facto standard. I should get the same way. But if you see, if you dissect it, there is an artificial intelligence behind it. Wow, that's true. I've never thought of that before, but you're right. It's, is it kind of like when you're... When you're phone tells you how long it's going to take till you, till you get home. I remember the first time I saw that and thought, how does my iPhone know where I live? Absolutely. <laughs> and, and now we are seeing with most of our clients that uh, uh, we have started adopting some of the sophisticated use cases like image recognition, classification, tagging, uh, you know, with some financial industry on anti-money laundering, fraud management, anomalies detection. Uh, these are very commonly used cases of AI these days in the market. Right. So with fraud recognition, how, how does AI work in that situation? So if you see a lot of time, uh, till date, uh, I would say that fraud management is there. Fraud ma management existed from whenever uh, there is credit card or payment system existed. So it's not new. Uh, there is definitely a AI, the algorithms which are running behind it. But what we have seen in the past was that the fraud management is more of uh, a reactive, where fraud has happened and now you are trying to uh, mitigate the risk around it. But now with the invent of artificial intelligence, the computational power has gone high that instead of doing a reactive, you can do 
proactive and you can do preventive you know fraud management so that's changing the behavior of the transactions that how your users are doing transaction and i think that's a pretty good example of artificial intelligence which is bringing it from reactive to proactive and preventive so that's really moved up the chain in uh, in value when you can actually predict what's going to happen absolutely and uh, what are some of the other things that can be considered uses of AI? So I think uh, there's a lot of use cases in various industries, but if you see natural language processing, NLP, so if you see some fancy chatbots on some sites, uh, which a chatbot existed you know, from last more than two decades, but now the chatbots are getting more and more intelligent. Uh, they are contextual. Uh, they, they know you. They understand from where you are uh, pinging them from where you are uh, starting that conversation. And it's it's less of an informational chat, but it's more of a transactional and a cognitive chat. Uh, some of our clients are using robo-advisor where they are helping them in you know, financial portfolio management. So the, the transactions are moving from more informational to transactional to um, the intelligence side, and I think those are some of the good examples in financial industry. Um, uh, health industry is adopting it very fast, where you can do a proactive, you know, health management. And on the side way, in some part of the world, uh, artificial in intelligence is used for even second opinion. That okay, this is what doctor is prescribing, but based on your DNA, based on your current situations, the environmental variables, uh, what is the prescription around it, what is the second opinion around it. So those are some of the neat use cases which we are finding in financial, health, telco. I will say that there is not even a single industry which is untouched with artificial intelligence as of now. That's incredible. So a computer can essentially replace a doctor. You know, absolutely. If you, if you, uh, it's too early to say that thing. But um, uh, if you see, if you go to your uh, physicians, you know, they ask you some set of questions, and uh, based on that set of questions, they have okay, this symptoms meet with their this kind of uh, you know problem, and then based on that diagnostic, they prescribe you something. And basically, if you see artificial intelligence. Fundamentally, it is based on exactly the same thing, that you diagnose the problem, and then based on historical and based on some external factors, you prescribe something. So that's, that's the fundamental uh, framework of artificial intelligence as well. So I won't say that uh, it will replace the doctors at this point of time, but time is not far away, uh, that some of the changes will happen in every industry. That's incredible. And it's almost like the computer uses the same thought process that a professional would use in making a decision. You know, absolutely. And I say that the computers were doing all this thing from, you know, uh, last more than two decades. But if you have seen in last more two decades, it's more of a mundane, repetitive, structured data, logical operations, mathematical, you know, kind of operations. But when with the artificial intelligence, you overlaid, you know, the thinking power, you know, judgmental, contextual, experience, history, kind of thing, it made it more uh, sophisticated 
sophisticated. So now you have uh, uh, computational uh, energy, but on top of computational energy, you have cognition power as well. So that really complemented the existing computers. How does that happen? How can a computer have professional judgment? It's a big subject, but I definitely want to touch on this thing that uh, one part of uh, artificial intelligence is on machine learning. So I always say that it's less of machine learning, it's more of a machine teaching. So we talk but, about machine learning, what does that mean? That again is another one of those. There's so many of these terms that, that the lay person may not really understand. That's correct. So predominantly if you see that uh, 90 plus percent of economic value from artificial intelligence uh, in current time is coming from uh, one type of artificial intelligence and that is supervised learning and a subset of supervised learning is machine learning. So where you are training the machine with the data, you know, with an existing data, you are trying to train the machine, you test then the algorithms which you have trained and then based on that uh, historical data context uh, you want to apply that to future conditions that based retrospectively if I have to apply this thing to future how it is going to change so in other words uh, it, I always say it's a hindsight insight and foresight so hindsight is what has happened insight is diagnostic, what is happening or what can happen. And foresight is uh, how we can make it happen. So artificial intelligence and more specifically machine learning is getting predominantly used by our client in revenue forecasting, uh, bringing best product to the market, uh, looking at the customer behavior, that where they are spending their time, you know, what channel they are using it. Uh, all these things were impossible, uh, you know, a decade ago. But now with the smartphones in the hands, um, I always say slow-mo, social, local, mobile, that's what the adoption is going on. And I think artificial intelligence is a big enabler for that. So in order for the machine to learn, does an actual computer programmer have to sit there and input every type of potential situation into the computer so that it quote-unquote learns or how does this information transpire how does it how does it develop within the computer that's a very good question Jennifer so machine learning uh, predominantly I say has uh, four uh, four or five major substreams in that so one is the supervised learning which I just touched which is very much as the name specifies supervised labor data so you label everything in the you know supervised learning you tell this is the input and this is the output you are expecting um, absolutely there you have to train your algorithm so training means a, a human has to actually input the data absolutely it is just training like a toddler that hey this is a cat this is a dog right. but imagine if you start training a toddler a dog is a cat they will learn that with the time. So it's more about machine teaching than machine learning on that. So that's on the labeling side. There's another type of machine learning which is known as unsupervised learning where 
you have tons of data, but you don't know what that data is. You know, you cannot label it. So that's where you start recognizing the patterns, the clusters over there, and to find out that, okay, there is, there is a pattern over here, what this pattern is. And those are the kinds of things uh, which you use. Those are the algorithms which you use when you don't know what that data is, or it's very hard to label that data. Take an example of Spotify. Now, if, if you hear songs on Spotify, uh, Spotify, you know, propose or, you know, suggest some songs that, hey, people who, you know, heard this song also like this song. So, if you really like that song, you may hear it again and again, and then people who matches your uh, taste or preferences, Spotify will suggest them as well that song. So it's about clustering that where exactly people are of the same you know, mind setup or want to hear or want to learn something. Right, that's a great so, example. I, ha I have Spotify and I love how it does that. Absolutely. So, so really what it's doing is it's, it has uh, enough information of a certain type. So this number of people listen to this song and this number of people listen to that song and therefore probably the same preferences. So it, it's kind of a, of a testing type of situation and a, a suggesting type of situation. Absolutely. It, it is all about suggesting. And, uh, you know, it, it's all about that uh, you may or may not like that song you know, then they will start seeing that is that pattern is so big, then maybe the, you know, based on what previous pattern they suggested use that song, they will recalibrate that algorithm or they will improve that algorithm. And one thing which I want to mention about artificial intelligence is uh, it's, uh, it's about my AI is better than your AI. Okay, so what so does that mean? That means it's, it's all about a statistical and probability game. And uh, the fundamental um, uh, blocks or the, you know, uh, blocks for the artificial intelligence is based on um, statistical analysis and probability. So the probability of happening something more likely uh, will be the right, right answer or the right suggestion in this case. What about things like self-driving cars? How does AI play into that? So uh, it's, a, it's a good example where it's a combination of supervised learning, where you are training the maps and uh, some of the obvious things. But on top of that, that's also a good example of another type of machine learning, which is known as reinforcement learning. So in reinforcement learning, uh, an algorithm learns to perform a task simply by trying to maximize rewards uh, it receives from its action. So if they see an obstacle on the road and uh, you say that, uh, uh, you know, that's good, you recognize that obstacle, then the reinforcement algorithm will learn from that. Uh, so that's a good example. Uh, I see definitely in upcoming years that that will be a game changer in automotive industry. Absolutely. It's really quite mind-boggling how, how much this is going to impact our world. Absolutely. And, and, you know, you say you don't have a lot of training data and you cannot 
clearly define the ideal end state or the only way to learn about the environment is to interact with it. And that's why there's a lot of testing of these autonomous or self-driving vehicles is going on. Uh, I think that is going to be a big thing in logistics industry, especially in trucking or, uh, you know, logistics operations. Absolutely. And I, I, I guess uh, there's uh, a lot of risk involved in not getting it right, so it has to be tested. Absolutely. So when we look at AI, there are obviously many implications for everything in our world, especially if, as you said, it's going to, to really hit every industry that we deal with. What are some of the implications that are positive for this development of AI? I think uh, the, the premises of AI is that it models human intelligence. If uh, I'm given an opportunity to change the name of artificial intelligence to uh, reflect it, uh, the exact meaning, I would say it is uh, augmented intelligence. It is for the human, wherever it is to complement the human capabilities. Um, through the imperfection exists, there is often a benefit of AI machine making decisions uh, that humans struggle with. Um, AI machines are often programmed to, you know, follow statistical models in making decisions. Uh, humans may struggle with some personal implications, emotions, biasness, kind of stuff. And uh, there may be cases where uh, human there will be an uh, you know hostile environment kind of stuff in space exploration or other stuff. Artificial intelligence can definitely penetrate those areas. So I definitely see a huge positive impact of artificial intelligence, uh, you know, in future. So things like uh, going into space where the the physical environment is not appropriate for humans, but a computer can can go into that space. Is that kind of what you're looking Absolutely. at? Absolutely. And I always say crawl, walk, run. Why to go in even in the space? Uh, why not uh, some of the simple things that what is the better pricing for my product or services? You know, what is the better product quantities? What, what is the better product routing, schedules, forecasts? There are so many things where we currently struggle. Uh, even the large enterprises struggle. You know, if you ask me, any one of our client, can they predict 100% accurate or even 65 to 80% accurate of their forecast? Uh, I will, you know, struggle to say yes, those organizations have achieved that level of sophistication. Um, but with the artificial intelligence, now the possibilities have drastically increased and uh, they can absolutely adopt those. And absolutely, going back to your question on space exploration, those are very much uh, hostile you know, environments and uh, uh, AI can definitely help uh, in predicting those uh, situations. So when we look at uh, the traditional budget and forecasting process, how does a computer do a better job at forecasting than your controller who's been there for 20 years, for example? Jennifer, you are asking me really good questions. <laughs> I used to charge for these, but anyhow, this is a good question. Uh, so if you see in current world, you know, whenever you are looking at your data, you are always looking within the four walls 
of your organization, that what data you have within your organization. But your enterprise is getting impacted from any part of the world, from events. You know, we are working with a large retailer in Canada, and if Blue Jay lose a game, their sales get impacted heavily on that. Wow. But they haven't considered that in their revenue forecast because they, they don't know what is the probability that uh, in the playoffs, Blue Jay may lose on right. that. So, wow, so it's actually able to, to look at that kind of data and absolutely. predict what's going to happen. Absolutely, and if you see country like Canada where is a huge impact from you know weather temperature you know which can impact your supply chain if there is a perishable good which impact the supply chain uh, that can consider a shrink problem in your supply chain so there are so many external variables which you don't consider in your current revenue production uh, or sales forecast which may impact who knows what will be the weather in february or in december in country like canada pretty unpre- <laughs> Anything. It can be anything. But uh, now with the, you know, we know that uh, at least some good, you know, apps, weather apps can give you some good forecast. And if we bring those external parameters or variables into our forecasting, um, uh, they can give you very reliable forecast as compared to the traditional manual, you know, forecast based on your existing data. I think AI is giving you that level of sophistication which is definitely helping our clients. Wow. So so do you still have to have a human, a group of people, for example, in a boardroom brainstorming on what are all the things that we have to think about that impact the sales of our products, and then somebody goes and inputs that into the computer to come up with the algorithm? Or how does that work? So, so there's, a, again, very good questions coming up. So I really like it. Uh, I, I would say that... Uh, Two aspects of, uh, you know, data science is there. One is data science, and uh, another one is on the data arts. So the one factor which you mentioned, the correlation. If you ask us where we are spending a lot of our time, we are spending our time, data science is a mechanical plumbing work. We know how to do it, you know, kind of stuff. Uh, algorithms are pretty sophisticated. Machines are getting very uh, good in output and computational power and all. But it's all about finding that correlation, that what is impacting the existent uh, artificial intelligence algorithms. That's very important. And that that's where we are spending a lot of time. I'll give you a quick example that we were working with one of a retailer and grocer in Canada, and they had a huge shrink problem in their yogurt sales. And they said, okay, uh, in the month of September, we couldn't sell this much of yogurt, and they are lying in our stores. What can be the reason for that? And we started, we took their point of sales data, we started, you know, uh, munching the data and seeing that what is the outcome from the algorithms. Very quickly, we found that temperature obviously has the direct impact on the shrink, that you are unable to sell, you know, that. Uh, you know, I just jumped on shrink just to give you a little bit context on what shrink is in retail world. Uh, shrink is anything which you buy, but we, you cannot sell it. So whether it's a shoplifting, okay. uh, is a shoplifting or that's what I typically think know, of as exactly. shrinkage is, is it's the theft, but it's theft. also from not being able to sell. Yeah, okay. absolutely. And, and uh, I, I fundamentally don't assume that people will shoplift yogurt. So. <laughs> <No>. <laughs> 
So <laughs> probably not the hottest thing to. Steal. And, and that's what we took a fundamental assumption that let's take shoplifting out of the algorithm and uh, let's start putting a correlation between temperature. That was very obvious. And when we finally came up with the output, uh, it was very close, but it was not to that level where we, you know, our client accepted that. And they said, yeah, absolutely, temperature is a big indicator, but there is still a big gap between the shrink and uh, what we are predicting. And then coming back to that whole that room discussion, what can other things you know impact? And we found that it's temperature and taste combination. So at wow. certain temperature, people don't like certain flavors of yogurt. And that was predominantly the reason for the shrinkage. And when we put those two factors in their demand planning system, the shrinkage went drastically very down. That's so, fascinating. Absolutely. It helped them a lot in their revenue leakage in terms of the shrink. So those are some of the examples where they were using a very strong demand planning management system, but the demand planning management system was missing those two parameters on that. Okay, so it's, a, it's sort of a, a process of using historical trends and data, but then tying that in with the future. So when you mentioned the Blue Jays example, so let's say you would look at what are the predictions of how well they're expected to perform, and then you tie that into sales of beer and chips, absolutely. for example. You exactly. know, if they're doing great, there's going to be higher sales. Yeah, absolutely. And even if they hired a new player in their game and uh, the historically that player has a good history, uh, that will also impact the algorithm because then algorithm is considering, you know, algorithm has the power to consider each individual on the team as well. So wow. that's giving the power of the computational parallel processing, which you can achieve now, uh, which was impossible a couple of years ago. Exactly. And it's incredible, the pace of change. Like you mentioned, it's only a couple of years since that this kind of developments have happened. I mean, I look at um, traveling somewhere and you, you put in an address and your Google Maps tells you where to go. And back in the back in the day when you had to have the paper map and pull over to try to figure out your directions, it's just it seems like a, a million years ago, but it really wasn't that long ago. Absolutely, and uh, the change uh, of velocity is so, so powerful that uh, within 35 days, uh, a new technology can reach to 50 million users. So wow. you can imagine that uh, how one use case which comes up can impact uh, 50 million users within 35 days. That is really incredible. So with that kind of growth and that kind of change in our world, what are some of the negative things that can happen? You know, we hear a lot about the fear that AI and robotics is going to eliminate the need for people. Let's start with the positive thing. And absolutely, there are things to be aware of with every new technology. And uh, organizations definitely need to establish the governance process, you know, the systems to build and maintain trust. Uh, anchoring to you know some good foundational principles uh, like holistic. Consider a full spectrum of intelligent automation options and impact from day one. All all of these uh, uh, artificial intelligence use cases should be human centered. 
So uh, prioritize making people job easier and simple and maximize human performance rather than eliminating, you know, that. Okay. And I would say that uh, uh, some of the jobs uh, will retransform. They will get eliminated uh, on this thing. And uh, those things happen in every decade, but new things will come. So if you see a decade ago when there was no smartphone, um, there was no mobile apps. Yeah, but, absolutely. But today, there is a mobile app developer in almost every organization, every department, I would say. And now with uh, some jobs maybe at risk, but at the same time, some new jobs of data scientists are coming. You know, they, were, they, they didn't exist two years ago. There was no concept of data scientists, but today they are the hot commodity, perishable item on the market. Right. So absolutely, you know, transformation is inevitable. That is going to happen. Um, we need to be prepared for the best. And uh, that's how, you know, some of the new things, Canadian government is, federal government is spending a lot of money on artificial intelligence. Canada is a hub for AI. I'm a part of, EY is a part of uh, Vector Institute for Artificial Intelligence, which is funded by federal government. Uh, and uh, they are spending a lot of good time with their researchers on some good things. Similarly, in Montreal, the the Mila is doing a lot of good stuff. So I think uh, uh, Canada is definitely there on the forefront of artificial intelligence. And uh, um, I I definitely see that uh, this change is inevitable, but uh, we need to figure it out a way how to adapt to those changes. And as we mentioned, there's a lot of positives that come from taking human emotion and those types of of decisions that are not necessarily based on facts out. But there's also a negative side to that. So what happens when there isn't emotion or ethics considered in decisions? Can, Can there be negative consequences? No, absolutely, absolutely. And I think the biggest thing which we are seeing is that uh, the ethical framework around any technology, not about artificial intelligence, about any technology, if you don't have an ethical framework, uh, it is definitely a harmful thing on that. So uh, absolutely you need to have uh, unbiasedness, you need to have ethical framework around artificial intelligence. Uh, you need to have, there's a risk of uh, cyber threats. So you need to have a framework of security around it. Um, you need to have, uh, I haven't touched one topic, which is very big topic in AI world is in terms of biasness. Mm-hmm. So sometime when we are training these algorithms, uh, deliberately or unknowingly, we pick a data set to train these algorithms. So that's our biasness that what algorithm or what data set we are picking it up. Right. And that that data set may not be the true representative of the complete problem which we are trying to solve. So we may train something wrong if we if there is a human element, there is a biasness involved on that, which can be a gender biasness, which can be, you know, um, color biasness, which can be uh, a, any sort of biasness mm-hmm. over there. So absolutely a lot of uh, time, uh, you know, uh, a lot of organizations are spending to eliminate that 
you know, biasness. And on top of that, there is a risk of uh, overfitting as well, where you will try to make your algorithms more and more sophisticated by trying to give them more and more variables. Uh, and you may try to overfit that, vari you know, algorithm. So we need to try to avoid the conditions of or the risk of overfitting, risk of underfitting, inadequate program governance around it. Uh, you cannot leave these AI programs unattended. You need to have a control on them. So they can have a larger implications. And on top of that, uh, they are algorithm. They are getting more and more smarter. So there is a black box nature you know, around this. These are not rules. If there is a rule, you know A plus B is equal to C. But these are not rules. They are algorithms. They are learning from getting trained from the data which you are providing, and they are becoming more and more sophisticated day by day. So that transparency is missing to some extent, and that's where we are spending a lot of time with our clients to make these algorithms more trusted and transparent. Right, so uh, the need for humans has not gone away. Absolutely At not. least not yet. They will make them more and more smarter. That's great. So finally, let's talk about some of the common solutions that are out there in the marketplace and what they can do to make uh, our own personal lives better or the operations of our companies better. I think um, there's, uh, I'll talk about two, two solutions. One is very you know, some of the solutions which are open source kind of solution. And then some of them are a lot of large organizations are investing, you know, huge like Microsoft, Google, Amazon, uh, NVIDIA. Uh, you talk about all these big players, they are investing huge on machine learning in terms of infrastructures, in terms of parallel processing, computational power, you know, and uh, their intent is to make these, uh, make machine learning or artificial intelligence to commoditize it. So you can use it as, you know, pay-as-you-go basis kind of stuff. Uh, and if you see a lot of research is going on in machine learning or in artificial intelligence predominantly, uh, you know, startup companies are doing a lot of stuff on this thing because nowadays they can afford it. You know, they can, you know, use it pay-as-you-go kind of model. So we, that is a very big enabler or a catalyst in artificial intelligence adoption. On the other side, you know, there are some open framework as well, like there are, there are some uh, languages like R, Python, or some open, you know, framework which can help you to do, uh, you know, to achieve some use cases. So you can, you can pick based on what you are trying to solve. Uh, how sophisticated you want to go. And don't take me wrong that uh, with open frameworks, you cannot go sophisticated. You can definitely go sophisticated, but it's all about that whole question, open framework versus vendor kind of stuff. It's a, it's a long debate. But pick a right platform which is or a right solution, which is very important. And uh, I think some of the stuff which, uh, which is very exciting, which we are doing for some of our clients is on NLP, natural language processing, where we are reading a lot of documents. If you see Ernst & Young, you know, we have a lot of business in terms of process improvement, um, documents, audit, tax. So we are reading those 
documents, PDFs, you know, emails to take the unstructured data out of them and structure it so that we can use them in a transactional, you know, way. And it's not simple optical character reading, but it's uh, taking out that syntax and semantics out of the documents is very important and uh, we can use with the NLP. Other things are speech recognition, language translators, speech to text. So call centers, if you think, you know, a lot of our clients have call centers. And uh, if you see that you, you, call center people can help you on level one, level two kind of tickets. Most of those kinds of transactions are very transactional, like they are very rule-based kind of stuff. So that's where AI is taking play with IVR, you know, voice recognition, and they can try to solve your problems using some simple AI algorithm. Okay, and so you don't actually speak to a person. You've got a computer that's helping you. Absolutely. And, and you want, uh, as an organization and as a customer, you are putting a demand on your client or, or your provider to be 24 by 7. So right. that will also give your provider an opportunity to be a 24 by 7 where let humans solve the problems which machine cannot solve, but if there is a repetitive, mundane kind of issue which machine can solve in a minute, why you need to wait for 10 minutes on a call if machine can help you in a minute? Right, exactly. So that's where where is the best value of the buck uh, for you as well as for your uh, provider is very important. Wow. Well, it's been quite an education for me. I know I must say I've really been mystified by the whole artificial intelligence idea, but this has been incredibly valuable and I'm sure will be for our listeners as well. Thank you so much for being with us today, Biren. Thank you.